Welcome to Whole Lot Comedy, What It Takes. It's a series featuring people who've turned their dreams into reality. Today, we have Rob Hitchmo and what it takes to be a comedian. Now, Rob is an established comedian who has performed over 5,000 professional stand-up gigs. He has coached the likes of Mickey Flanagan. And when he is not performing, Rob is a highly sought-after comedy teacher. So, Rob, welcome. And my first question is, what does it take to be a comedian? Oh, you need to find a teacher who's done about 5,000 gigs. <laughs> um, I would say a good writer and a good performer. Now, of course, there's lots of exceptions to that, but most comics um, do have skills in both areas. Sometimes you'll see some comics who are doing okay, and you think, well, your material isn't great, but they're really carrying it via the performance, and also vice versa. You see some people, you just think, oh, you should be making more of that. But if it, the joke's good enough, they're getting away with it. But anyone who's of a reasonable standard is good in both areas. Now, I know some people have people who write for them. But particularly on this um, this modern circuit, the alternative circuit, which is occasionally called, which developed in the late 70s and 80s, more the 80s, really, um, one of the main rule, rules were that you write your own material. And so anyone who starts out, very few people start out with a writer. Um, and some people find that they're more of a writer than a performer and become a performer to uh, for a place to uh, sort of air their writing. And I know of a couple of people who form partnerships with uh, one being the comic and one being the writer, but... Just about every successful comic I know is also a very good writer. So do you think it could be an attention to detail as well as a performer and a writer that helps? Ah, yeah, with some comics it is. When I do, do the classes, sometimes we will spend hours and hours, not hours, a long time over one, <coughs> excuse me, over one sentence and sometimes just one word, whether the word's right. Um, but then, having said that, there are other comics who um, are very much um, very chatty and every time you see them, it's slightly different. In fact, some comics, it's very different. Um, I would say, particularly if it's a, a joke that requires a fair amount of thought, sometimes you, you want to get the wording exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so... The, from what we're saying so far, it's the comedian, it's about the performance, it's about the writing, and it's about the detail. But do you think on the personal attributes, let's say for the, the comedic persona, do you think they need to bring in, let's say, charm, wit, honesty? Oh, honesty. Um, to a degree, and again, there's always exceptions. Um, it's quite... Sometimes comics, particularly when they start, you can see something in their performance that says please like me now most comics that i rate i do like but i don't think you should sort of seek to be please like me having said that sometimes you see comics and there's something about them there's too much of an edge or they're a bit cold um or there's just a side to them that you don't find very endearing and you're less likely to but there's quite a few comics who i think oh, i'm really enjoying this but i don't think I particularly like to, you know, meet you socially. But most yeah. comics you do have an affinity with. But it should be effortless. There should be no trace of 
please like me. So for, for a comedian to work, he ha- they have to capture the mindset of the audience and embrace the audience that's in front of them. So they have to get the connection. Um, yes, the audience need to have faith in you. Um, and some, sorry, excuse me, <coughs> I'm just drinking a cup of tea. It's gone around the wrong way. Um, yeah, you've, 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 there's this thing, you've got to know your audience. Having said that, there are some comics who just seem to go well, whatever the audience. Um, play the room, I've heard. You know, you play, sometimes you'll see people doing a small gig as if they're playing Wembley Stadium, and that's not good. Yeah, so, so what we're saying so far is then, that you have to really say, right, if there's an open mic or a chance to perform, perform. Yeah. Um, And sometimes you'll do a gig and it's absolutely cold and horrible. And I would say always get up, particularly when you first start. Um, But don't be disheartened because sometimes you're up there and you're thinking, I know this works. I've done it at other gigs and it's gone down a treat. And um, for whatever reason... And I've seen the best of them die. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work, particularly on, on new act nights. And so as long as you can try and learn from it and not lose heart, you, I'd still say perform whenever you can. So now we've moved on a bit then to say you need an inner, you need an inner drive and motivation to literally take what's in front of you, work out what went right, what went wrong maybe not change what you're doing again it could be a merest down to the detail mm-hmm. of something but go away and review what you've performed yeah i know some people who never watch themselves they never record their sets and they do very well i don't record every set i record a lot of them and sometimes well, on the playback you'll hear your voices a little bit i don't know um rushed or slightly out of breath or there isn't enough charm. So you don't really want to be too technical. You want to be in the moment, to borrow an acting phrase. But sometimes uh, it's only when you hear yourself that you think, oh, hang on, that could be better. So would you say in performing as a comedian, it's really about releasing the inner child that's in you? <laughs> um Yes. Um, also, the the mischievous side of you, the pedantic side of you, the bewildered side of you. And a lot of these traits are childish because children have this sort of naivety and often say things that maybe an adult wouldn't. They'd censor themselves. So, yeah, that's that's quite a good analogy. There are a lot of childhood traits in a comedic performance in, in the is- daftness of it and the... Um, and the abruptness as well, I suppose. And and the abruptness. Would would you say then, Rob, after let's say after five thousand gigs and literally five thousand gigs all over the world, and many, many or different audiences and probably different languages as well. So you may have had to incur different language barriers. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I've gigged in Australia. <laughs> do you find do you find the the with that many audiences, it's really as if it's the same audience, no matter where you are. Oh, um, th- that I've also had that question on a regional basis. Um, a lot of comics say, oh, it's very difficult to play Liverpool because 
people in Liverpool fancy themselves as comedians. I think it just depends on the venue. There, there was this gig in Liverpool, um, I'll say the name, the Baby Blue, and it used to be nice. It started out in the foyer of um, Liverpool Everyman, and then it got tougher and tougher, and they moved to another a nightclub uh, on the Albert Dock, and it just became really tough. And I think it was because, I mean, there's lots, lots of reasons, um, a lot of the crowd were really there for the nightclub afterwards, uh, where there's a different vibe in the Liverpool Everyman Theatre foyer. Uh, but there's another gig in Liverpool called Hot Water, which is just a dream. I mean, if anyone ever got a gig right, it's Binti and Paul who, who set that up. That is as good as it gets. They really, I mean, they've developed this over a number of years, but they've put the work in and they've got the perfect layout for the room. And it, it, the room, if you see it, uh, it looks really small. But um, I think they get about 100, is it 120 or 140 yeah, yeah. people in. So that sort of disproves the thing about Liverpool audiences are tough. So it really depends on the dynamic of the audience. If the audience have paid to come in and they want to be there, they've got something invested in the evening and they want to laugh. And um, you want a variety of people on most of the time. It doesn't take a lot, though, to to unsettle a gig. Yeah. Now, sort of just moving on to going back. Oh, to... yeah. I haven't really answered your question, have I? Uh, abroad, um, I think it's the same answer. Abroad is the. I mean, most of the gigs I've done abroad have been to English-speaking audiences in the states and and Australia. Oh, Bahrain as well. That was. Um, I think they were all expats, if not. Certainly 95% of them are expats or, you know, they spoke English quite well. And also in an environment like that, they're so grateful for the gig because they don't have many comedy clubs. And so it's a, it was a real treat. and There was just such a, a feel-good atmosphere to it. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to writing and performing, what's the actual framework for writing to perform? Um... You've got to find your comedy voice. Now, you can ask yourself what comes first, the writing or the persona, the, comedi the, the comedic persona. Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think a good place to start is when do you make your friends laugh? Do you have a gang of mates that, you know, whenever you see, you just know the evening's going to end up with you, with you all laughing. So it's finding that and then being prepared to ex experiment and changing your attitude. So if you were told now you must write, but with a real belligerent, pig-headed attitude that is totally unlikable, even though that might not be your finished product, it might help in in the writing because you might write things that you'd ne not necessarily have written. And then write again, as I say, a naive child who's totally innocent and just doesn't quite understand the world. Another thing you can do is be inspired by other comics. Now, one thing you don't do is you don't copy. You don't copy the persona or you don't copy, certainly don't copy the material. But you could analyse how you think they got there and work backwards and then go, right, oh, I see how that worked. Maybe borrow an attitude because no one's got a monopoly on any subject and no one's got a monopoly on an attitude. But they might, you could argue that they own the persona, if you like. So really, it, you're saying it's from an idea to the character from your notebook, which you must keep your notebook at all times. Well, we're having a massive clear out at the moment. Oh, you can't see it because it, it's only audio. Um, because we're having our 
kitchen done and I've just found hundreds, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, there's over a hundred notebooks um, and I've kept them because you always think, well, I'll go through them one day. I might just see some half-baked material that I can now see how I can develop it. But it's certainly, it's going to take me a long, long time to go through all these, but I'm loath to throw them out, but they're taking up a lot of space. And once you've got this, so we're looking at the framework. So we've got the idea, you've written it down in your notebook, um, you've picked up on the persona, and now you're going to script it out into the actual detail of whichever perspective and the different perspectives or protagonist antagonist you're going to be using yeah. or inside out. But next, once you've got to that stage, it's the performance. Do you think it's right that you, for example, you, you'll just perform it at home and just listen to it again and again? And how would you progress from there? Um, well, it depends on what type of material you've written. So let's say, if you, if, sorry, if you can just go back one question, the, with the, the development of the material, one way of doing it, one of the many ways, is just to start telling a story with the attitude or recount something that's happened to you. Say you're inspired by something that happened in real life. Um, and develop an attitude. How do you feel about it? Are you annoyed by it? Are you confused by it? Are you belligerent because of it? So don't feel pressure at the beginning to be funny. So let's say um, you went out with a group of friends that you always laugh with. At the start of the, the meeting or the evening, you don't laugh immediately, or not normally, you might do, but there's no pressure. You just talk and you talk and you just recount, you know, your old stories and catch up on news and gossip and eventually you start making each other laugh and you can use that formula for writing just start writing tell the story of what happened and then all the time while you're writing you've got this childish pedantic eye it's like when you're with your friends if you're chatting and one of you says something that's a bit daft in the nicest possible way the others will pick up on it and take the piss so it's a bit like that, only only there's only you writing. So you've got to be the quirky friend who's going to pick you up as soon as you stumble. And what was the second question? I've forgotten. Whoa, I've got to think. Hold on a second. I've got to get to the next one. The performance. Myself. Performance, oh, yeah. yeah. Hold on. So, so let's just say, for example, you have written um, story type stuff. You tell it, tell that story as if you were telling it to friends. Um now, there's ways of doing it where you demand the attention of your friends and maybe don't start. My favourite word in um, performance is anticipation. So having the confidence to pause and look mischievous at the audience and then say the next bit. So if it's written well, it's like a good book that you that's a page turner. The audience, You want the audience to be thinking, oh, what happens next? I really want to know, regardless of how funny it is. So if you can make the story interesting, great. Also, it's not that you have to make the story as interesting as a book where you constantly keep the reader hooked. It can only be, you know, um, a short sentence. So if you say something like, I got mugged, the next, you know, we all want to hear what happened next. Well, I do. Um, so, uh, But if it's like sort of one-liners or silly things, it's still applicable to a degree, but think of your attitude so if you've written a really nice one-liner, but how do you feel about it? Or you can perform it in different ways. Are you deadpan? Do you not get the gag yourself? I know some comics who never smile on stage, and it really works for them. 
Um, um, Paul, sorry, just Paul Merton, um, when, not that he really performs stand-up now, but he was a bit like that. He was a, a fantastic comic. And also when you see him, um, particularly on Have I Got News For You, he'll say things and he very rarely laughs. And he doesn't laugh at many other people's jokes. Occasionally he does. And it's not him being negative about their joke. That's his persona when, when he does it. And, it. and sometimes he says stuff as if he doesn't get his own joke. And he'll get a big laugh and he'll look a bit confused and as if he's not sure why the audience laughed. And what, what does it actually mean to have a type five? <laughs> um, a five minutes written with the perfect economy of words. Because quite often people faff about with a long opening paragraph to get to the gag. We don't need to know why you're in the supermarket. Just get, get straight to the joke about the cucumbers. <laughs> Now, the, um, so, Rob, and now the next question is really a more of a, a practical issue for a comedian. Travel. Mm-hmm. It's, is it a good idea to, say, when you're starting out, to keep local or to try and build up as many gigs as you can in as short as possible time or just refrain and take each one, you know, maybe one or two a week rather than say, right, I'm going to play five nights a week for the next year. No, to start with, just do one or two a week. Um, it's good to have them in gluts. If you can say, as opposed to getting one or two a week, maybe you want to have quite a few on the run. So possibly if you can get in touch with the venue and book, start booking up October, something like that. But the important thing is also, if you can record your set, if not, still review it afterwards. Most comics, when they come off stage, they head straight to the bar myself included a lot of the, lot of the time but there's other comics who go straight to their notebooks uh, i was remember mark thomas used to do that and he'd absolutely have taken the roof off and he'd be sitting there and he'd be scribbling away because he wasn't happy with one little bit or he thought of something else and really that's the way to do it uh, and J- jack d was also the same um i remember someone told me very recently actually that um they were out doing an out this is mid 90s they were out of town with jack d when he was i think he was pretty much headlining but not certainly not a household name and say you do i don't even know where they were if you do a trip up to newcastle invariably you go to the cinema in the day or you might go to uh, to the beach or something and they'd knock on jack d's door and he'd get on the ho- in the hotel and he'd be oh no i'm just just working on the set well you know i'll see you later and he put the hours in. He really did. And he, he, he had, every time I saw him, he had more material um, because he he had faith in it. I think a lot of other comics, when you first start out, you think, well, if I could just get that really good 20 minutes, I'd be set then. But Jack never thought like that. Yeah, it's, it's adaptability, isn't it? It's one thing, because if you go back to the same place within a few weeks later, you, you, may, yeah. have had a, you may have had a brilliant set, but do the audience want to see that you've moved on but in the 90s there were so many clubs all over london i i was working um you know up to five well occasionally six nights a week um more often than not three or four i suppose and it would be quite a lot i'd play every gig about six months and i was never out of work because um i mean still had to tout for the gigs and it was all phoning up then and pester and a lot of them were pretty poorly paid but some of them were very well paid, uh, nothing super spe- spectacular, but um, but more than you're doing in an office in a week. Do you, do you think 
the inspiration for being a comedian should be first and foremost to believe in yourself and not say I should be paid this amount within yeah. a within a set period of time. <laughs> Comics are always moaning about the money. It's not if you're good, you'll, you'll get to a level and you will get paid. And you'll also have comics who you think are better than you, who will go on and do very well, um, be on the telly and stuff. And you'll also know of other comics you think, why aren't they selling out stadiums? But that's just the way it goes. It's There's lots of top footballers who just never really get spotted who are playing second, you know, first, second or third division. But you can argue if you were really that good, you 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 would get work. And of course the agent has something to do with it and all the rest of it. Um, but there's also something to be said for just gigging and getting good. I know John Bishop, it didn't happen for him. He was somebody when I first saw, I thought, oh, he's got it. He's got that, you know, charm and just about every ingredient it took. And he could also get away with material that wasn't that great. He was just telling the story. And he also had some, you know, cracking stuff as well. Because he had that, I don't know, that magic and that charm. And there's other comics who, who sort of learn by numbers. And then John Bishop did, I can't remember, it might have been Mac Michael McIntyre's Roadshow first. And I think it was after he did Live at the Apollo. It really took off for him. But that might be a good thing in a way. If he'd have been projected too early, he might not have been as good. It's like the Beatles, mm -hmm. you know, going to Hamburg for two years and doing eight-hour shifts and stuff. And so when they finally did really hit it big in England, they had this huge catalogue and weren't just good. They were outstanding. Yeah. So I, I think this, that's why I'm anti, um, not anti, but I'm not a great fan of talent shows like the X Factor and stuff. I think every single band should be forced to travel up and down the country in a transit van for at least two years and get good. Yeah, it's exactly that, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all about refining and honing your craft. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. that, so that when you actually go out and it does work, you actually get not just a satisfaction for you, but you can actually say, do you know, I'm here. Yeah, but constantly keep reviewing it, both the performance and the material, writing new stuff and reviewing the stuff you've got. Because so many comics you see, and you'll see them like six months later, doing exactly the same set and doing the same jokes that fall flat. This is, um, yeah, that constant iterative approach um, it's a very important framework to have um, for, for many things. Now, we've just talked about sort of the, the travel and the satisfaction. So what's the lifestyle of a comic, Rob? Let's get the, let's really get there. Oh, it was great. It was, it, we were spoiled really in the 90s. It was just <laughs> fantastic. Um, though it becomes your social life. And I, I was, I was single then and I know of a couple of comics who um, split up with their partners because of just never being home. And of course, the better you are, the um, the more you're out. Um, there's one, uh, yeah, Terry Alderton, he used to say to me, oh, I never work Sundays, because, um, you know, that was his time with his with his wife. But, um, yeah, it becomes your social life, and I've got lifelong friends from the circuit who you can go six months or, or sometimes years now, because I, I don't perform much these days without seeing them, and when you do, it's like you saw them yesterday so so it, it's it's not the same as it was because there's more comics than ever and less gigs and i don't think the money's gone up that much and i think sometimes it's even gone down since the the 90s gotta sound old don't i say in the 90s first and foremost it's not about the money 
it's about just getting out there and being seen and being satisfied yeah i mean it's finding the right job that you can go with it a lot of i remember giving up my day job i was acting as well so i got an acting job that i was obliged to give up my day job because of but a lot of comics give up their day job and feel like oh well i've worked i haven't you know and don't do much in the day and they joke about oh i've got nothing to do in the day i've never understood that you should con if you give up your day job even if you're gigging four or five nights a week and earning a wage it might dry up just because you can do it now in five years time if you're not writing a lot and doing other things so i would say find possibly a part-time job but just something else to back it up until you're ready and also when you're doing a job you're in, a, in an environment that can stimulate more material if you're sitting at home all day and then just go out and gig I'm not saying you can't write material that way, but there's nothing there's nothing else coming in. It's it's like a closed closed room. Yeah, yeah. It's quite uh, insular. Very insular, yeah. yeah. Now now Rob, thank you very much for, for um in hopefully inspiring a few people and what it takes to be a comedian. Now, where can we find out more about you, Rob, and where people can get help with their comedy or advice for, about you from? If only there was a comedy course. Oh, I, I run a comedy course called comedyclassesonline.co.uk. I think it's comedyclasses-online.co.uk. But if you type that in, I'm Rob Hitchmo. I'm sure you'll find it. And we run Saturday mornings and uh, Tuesday evenings. But I've had, um, we might even do another one because there's quite a few people. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Rob. And there are spaces available, but Rob is, is booked in advance, possibly up to three to six months at a time. So I recommend you get in touch with Rob as soon as possible. Right. Thank you, yeah. Rob. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. This has been a podcast recording, a whole lot of comedy.